Welcome to the 180 Ministry Podcast. Please check us out at the1-80.org. This morning we are continuing the, the series that, that we've been kind of going on for the past few weeks uh, on, on the church. And this morning what we're doing is we are looking at a reality that every single one of us experiences, a reality that every single one of us brushes up against, not just in the church, we do experience it here, but a reality that we brush up against every single day of our lives, many times in ways that can be good and life-giving and, and is beneficial to us, and then in other ways, something that can be draining, exhausting, as we deal with it on our own, as we deal with it in others. But this morning, what we are talking about is our preferences, the things we like, the way we like them, the way we do things, all of that good stuff. So let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll get into the, the Word of God together this morning. God, we are thankful for a chance to open your word this morning. Lord, we're thankful for the message that, that you left for us. Lord, as we consider your own words this morning in the Gospel of Mark, we pray that your spirit would speak to us, that, that the words that, that you spoke so long ago to your disciples, Lord, that you would speak afresh to us this morning, that we would have ears to hear them, that we would have hearts to receive them, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us and be with us as we're together this morning. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Uh, several years ago, I was at a golf course uh, with a friend. We were going to a golf course because we were going golfing. And we were at the pro shop in the line kind of uh, checking in. And it's actually quite a line for us to, to, to get to the register, to, to pay for our rounds, and, and kind of get everything sorted out. Kind of the, the memories, I don't know if you have them, I, I certainly have them right now, where when you think back to life before COVID and you're kind of, um, I, I don't know if disturbed is the word, like, wow, there are a lot of us together in a little tiny space and we haven't done that in a year and so it feels foreign to, to think back to it. But there were all of us kind of there uh, just kind of crammed into this, it, it wasn't that big of a space together, probably 15 or so of us. And in line with us, there was one particular gentleman, and he was dressed pretty snappy, as, as golfers go, I find, all in the same brand of clothing. And, and the reason that he all kind of caught our attention is because in this little tiny space where there were a bunch of us kind of all crammed in together, he had picked up one of the clubs that they were selling in the pro shop and decided to start swinging it at full speed when there were so many of us kind of crammed in there together, which kind of catches your attention, like, what, what are you doing and are you going to hit me? Kind of one of those things. But then he started talking about how much he wanted to buy this particular club because it was the same brand of all of the clothes that he was wearing. And he made it known to all of us who were in there, in that line together, that he only wore this one particular brand of clothing. One of those situations where there's probably 15 or so of us in a small space, and we're finding all about this guy that literally none of us are talking to. He's talking to us, and we're getting all the details of his life. It was really an interesting interaction, one, one that I remember pretty clearly. But what he was revealing to all of us in that moment even though we didn't ask, were his preferences, right? What he liked, what he didn't like, how they worked themselves out 
in his life, and we all have preferences, right? I have preferences. You have preferences. As a church body, as a church, we have preferences. I'm a musician. I have style of instruments and strings that go on those instruments that I prefer and ones that I don't. I prefer certain kinds of shoes when I'm running over other kinds of shoes. I have preferences. You have preferences. And most of the time, these preferences that we have in our lives, these are innocent little things that kind of just make up the details of who we are, right? And, and when you're getting to know somebody, largely the process of getting to know somebody else is getting to know about those preferences, getting to know what do you like? What do you not like? What do we share in common? How do we go through this life together in that particular way? Where most of the time, our preferences, they don't hurt anybody. They don't pose a threat to any sort of organization. They don't pose a threat to society, those sorts of things. And as I said, most of the time getting to know somebody is getting to know those preferences. Sometimes, sometimes, our preferences bring us into conflict with others. Like when the person that you live with prefers the house to be hotter or colder than you do. You all know what I'm talking about, right? If you're married, that is the debate. What temperature is it going to be in the house? Or you have the age-old debate in our modern culture. Does the toilet paper go on the holder in the over or the under position? I agree. The patent agrees too, by the way. But this is a preference, right? A preference that can cause conflict, even if it's over something silly. But sometimes our preferences don't end up over silly things. They end up over things over which there is a lot, of, there is a lot that is stake. Sometimes a little bit more insidious. Sometimes a little bit more serious. Political preferences in the world have clashed especially strongly lately. Where sometimes the disagreements that we have over our preferences, it goes beyond just the innocent and it gets to the point where it can actually become harmful. Where sometimes our preferences have no room for the other person in the conversation. And sometimes... When it comes to our faith, there are preferences that have more at stake to the point where we would call them more than preferences, right? We would call them firmly held beliefs religiously. We believe in a principle called sola scriptura, where we believe as a church, as a people, that everything we believe comes from the Bible and the Bible only. This being a preference, a belief that sets us apart from other Christian groups. We believe in salvation only through the cross, that there is only one mediator between God and humanity, Jesus Christ. And again, this is a preference that sets us apart from other faith groups as well. And often, the faith groups that we end up belonging to, the communities that we end up belonging to, we belong to them because they have the big preferences lined up with our own big preferences, right? In this particular church this morning, we are here on 
the Sabbath day, worshiping together because we read scripture truthfully, rightfully, I believe, in such a way that we believe this is the day God has mandated for us to remember, to worship. But not every Christian group does that, but we meet on Sabbath mornings because our, the way we read scripture, this is what we believe. It's a preference that is more than a preference that has more at stake. There are big things that we buy into. Big things that we say this is what we do. But often, if you've been around church for any amount of time, what you often find is that sometimes the little preferences that sometimes define a community, sometimes, many times, they become more important than the big preferences. Things like, what style of music are we playing? What color is the carpet going to be? I know y'all hear me on that one, right? What kind of clothes are we wearing to worship? And a lot of times, what I have discovered, when those little preferences clash, or maybe when not everybody agrees on them, or their preferences happen to be different from one another, what happens is over those little preferences, what, what occurs is real conflict. Often more conflict than we experience over the big things. And it's kind of an amazing thing. We don't often have that much conflict over the big things. We believe in the Sabbath. We believe that belief and doctrine comes from the Bible and the Bible only. We believe in one mediator, Jesus Christ. We don't have much conflict over that. What we have conflict over are the little things. That's usually where we find most of our conflicts. And many times, I have found myself in those situations and I have found myself asking a very simple question. That simple question being, why? Why are the little things, the things that in the long run don't make much of a difference, why are they such a cause for conflict? I've been part of churches where people intentionally withheld their giving because they didn't like a particular program. I've been in churches where there were endless meetings about how we were going to handle, a, frankly, a very small situation and lots of conflict in those meetings because our preferences were not lining up with one another. I've been in, in, in churches where one group second-guessed another group over and over and over on everything that was happening at the church, and as a result, not much got done. And as I reflect on these situations, what I realize is that when it comes to talking about the preferences that we have in the body, the body of Christ, because this is what we're really talking about, right? What our preferences are really about a lot of the time are our desires for control. 
Our desires to have things the way that we want them. Our desires to have power over these things. And in this business of following Jesus, the amazing thing is, this sort of thing is nothing new. Because when you sit down and you read about Jesus in the Gospels, this is something that we see happening frequently among Jesus' disciples, where there's always some kind of dispute among them, right? One of the more famous ones is in Mark chapter 9, verses uh, 33 to 34, where it says, They came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. That's always the first bad sign, right? I have small children. I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old. And when we're all in the house together, do you know when I'm the most worried? When it's quiet. Something's going on when it's quiet. Or when you walk in on them doing exactly what you asked them not to do, you say, hey, what are you doing? The first response is silence and then followed by nothing. So when there's silence, there's always a bad sign, right? And Jesus experiences that here. He goes to his disciples. He said, what were you talking about on our way here? And they were silent. For on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. They were silent because they knew they had been wrong. They believed Jesus was establishing a kingdom. Because Jesus had said as much at this point, several times in the Gospel of Mark already. They believed that Jesus was establishing a kingdom, and what they were arguing about was the power that they were going to have within that kingdom. They'd heard Jesus talking about his kingdom. The very first words of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark, and you can look it up, Jesus' very first words in Mark are, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. So they've heard Jesus talking over and over and over again about his kingdom. And they're thinking to themselves, hey, we are at the grassroots beginning of this kingdom. We are going to be in a good place when this thing finally comes into its own. But the question that we have to ask for this text, that they probably should have asked themselves and they didn't, that would have avoided this entire discussion is, what would it mean for them to have power in this kingdom? What would it mean for one of them to have been the greatest in the kingdom? You can talk about that. I want to be the greatest in the kingdom. Okay, what does that mean? What does that look like? What effect will that have on everybody else? In real life, if you want to be the greatest in the kingdom, what would that actually have looked like? And when you consider it, what I think you discover is that it boils down to preferences. What the disciples are arguing about and what is a constant source of conflict for them, because this isn't the only time it happens. They do this several more times. 
What is a constant source of conflict for them is each of them wants a particular place of power in this kingdom that Jesus is building because in the outworking of that place of power, what they really want is for their position of power to reflect their preferences. That when I'm in a position of power, I'm going to get in this position and I'm going to do the things that need to be done. Well, what are the things that need to be done? Usually the things that I want to be done, right? Usually things to be set up the way I think I prefer that they should be set up. When you stop and think what the disciples are arguing about here, what you find, what I find about my own life, is it is really not that much different for us. The underlying motivations that led the disciples to think about these things are not so far removed from us these days. Because the motivation for arguing about something like this, trying to be the greatest, letting our preferences, the way that we want things, allowing all of that to be the cause for conflict, the underlying motivation that drives this thought is the belief that my preferences are what's best for everybody else. That what I want what I think. Not about the big things, mind you. We're not talking about the big things here. About the little things. What I want when it comes to the little things. This is what's best for everyone. It's something that puts us in a position of power over the people around us by telling them, I know what's best for you. And, I, and what's best for you is also what I want in the first place. This is something, when you think about it, if you're thinking about life in terms of power structures, this is something that immediately elevates us to the top. But in response to what the disciples are arguing about here, Jesus says something that is incredibly beautiful, Incredibly amazing. And if you're going to be completely honest with ourselves, incredibly difficult. This is what he says. He says, he sat down and called the twelve and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and a servant of all. In response to them arguing about who's going to be the greatest, who's going to be in control, who's going to be in power, who's going to determine what life looks like for the rest of us, Jesus stops the entire thing with this amazing, beautiful, incredibly difficult phrase. Because Jesus is saying here to a bunch of people who want to elevate themselves, who want to lift themselves higher, what he's really telling them here is you're talking about what life is going to look like in the kingdom where you're going to be on top. But here's the thing. Life does not look that way in my kingdom. It might look that way in the kingdoms that you're used to. 
but it doesn't look or work that way in my kingdom. In my kingdom, Jesus is telling them, it's not about your power. It's not about gaining power. It's not about letting your preferences control what everyone else is doing. Instead, what Jesus is telling them is that life in his kingdom is exactly the opposite. Life in Jesus' kingdom is about serving. It's about lowering yourself. It's about making less of yourself. And you actually see this beautifully worked out in Scripture in the New Testament. My absolute favorite text in the whole Bible, Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 4. This is Paul. And he says, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But notice where he goes here. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. This is the Apostle Paul talking to a group of people who came into a church that he had started, a church that he had planted, and they show up after he's left trying to impose their preferences what they believed following Jesus should look like. And they were appealing to their authority as to the reason why people should listen to them. Look at all these things I've been able to do. And so because of that, you should listen to me and do what I say in this business of following Jesus. And Paul tells them straight up here, he says, hey, if you want to talk about authority, if you want to talk about accomplishments, I have got much more than all of you do. He doesn't hold back what his accomplishments here. He says, I have accomplished far more in the faith than any of you have. But notice what he says next. He says, do you want to know what I actually think of all of those things? Do you want to know what they mean to me? They are nothing, he says. Rubbish, it says in my Bible. If you're reading out of the King James Version this morning, the word it uses here is dung, which is actually still a very polite way of rendering the word that Paul actually uses here in Greek. You see the force of the language that he's using to let them know what he actually thinks about all of these things that he has accomplished. But what Paul says is all of these things that elevated me above someone else, all of these things that put me in a position of power or control over someone else, what I think about all of that is that it is rubbish. It is nothing to me. I don't want it because when it comes down to it, it is the exact opposite of following Jesus. The same Jesus who said, if you want to become great in my kingdom, 
you must become the least. If you want to be first in my kingdom, you must be the last. Living life in Jesus' kingdom in large part means that we sacrifice those things that we think may elevate us above someone else. And the reason we do this is because this is exactly what Jesus did for us. Life in the kingdom is not revealed by the disciples trying to, to decide who is the greatest among them. Life, is life in the kingdom is revealed by Jesus, the king of this kingdom, being willing to give himself up, lower himself, empty himself on behalf of these disciples who were trying to do the exact opposite and elevate themselves for one another. That's the beauty of what's going on in this entire text here. You have the disciples arguing among themselves, who is greater? Who's going to be greater than the other one in the kingdom? All the while, Jesus, who is the greatest, has lowered himself beneath even them. Brought, themselves, brought himself to the point where he washes their feet. The beauty of the kingdom is that the king of the kingdom still serves those who are arguing about who is greatest among themselves. That Jesus sees no need to walk into the situation and say, you all aren't the greatest, I'm the greatest. Jesus walks into the situation and asks, how can I serve you? How can I be subject to you? How can I give up of myself for you? And then what he does is he invites his disciples in this interaction. What he invites them to do is to now do for one another what he has done for them. And I am convinced and I fully believe that this is still the invitation that Jesus is extending to his disciples today. To you and to me. And it's a strange invitation simply because it is the exact opposite of the world as we know it. Where in the world you climb you go up the ladder. You gain influence. You gain power. You keep gaining these things. And your life is defined by the points in which you have control or the ways in which you are gaining control. And a lot of times, the way that society functions in the world around us becomes the way that society functions even within the body. That we are influenced as much by what happens around us as we are, what Jesus has told us the way that it should be. And so that's the reason why sometimes you come together in the body of Christ, you come together in the church, and you don't fight about the big things, you don't fight about the Sabbath, you don't fight about salvation through Jesus, you don't fight about uh, believing in the Word of God. What you fight about is we painted that room a color I didn't like. I've actually had that one before. I don't know if any of you have. 
I don't like the color of the carpet that we put down. I don't like the style of music that we're playing. I don't like when something goes this long. I don't like when this person prays because it goes so long. But what are we talking about here? We're talking about me. We're talking about my preferences. And when I'm in a place where my preferences are the, the, the lens through which I see everything, what we're really saying is I want this entire thing, this entire experience to be subject to me. It is the 21st century way of having the same argument that the disciples had. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of God? Where we set ourselves up in that position, arguing among ourselves, who is the greatest? And when we clash over these little things, and I have been in church long enough to see the little things tear groups apart, we're forgetting that we worship the God who said, whoever wants to be the greatest in my kingdom must be the least. Whoever wants to be first in my kingdom must be last. The same God who Paul worshipped and because of him said, all of that stuff that made me something, I don't want it. It's loss. It's rubbish. Jesus invites us to follow him into his kingdom and in following him into his kingdom to live life as he has outlined it for us. One in which we are willing to give up the things that put us in power, the things that put us in control, and to serve someone else instead. And in doing so, we follow the example of the same Jesus who did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but emptied himself, humbled himself, and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Amen. Let's pray this morning as we worship this God, as we follow him into his kingdom. Lord God, this morning, Lord, your words bear as much power for us this morning as they did 2,000 years ago when you spoke them to your disciples that in your kingdom the first is last, that in your kingdom the greatest is the least. And Lord, these words are so striking to us because they're the exact opposite of everything we've ever experienced. Where the world around us, where the groups around us, sometimes even the churches around us, function on the same principle of being the greatest in the kingdom, of being the one in places of power or control. But Lord, this is not the life that you invite us to. God, this morning my prayer for my own life is that you would give me the strength to lower myself as you lowered yourself. I pray that you would give us, as the new Pasadena church, you would give us the strength collectively to lower ourselves, not only in love for one another, but in love for the world and the community around us. That, Lord, we would show your love not in strength, not in power, but we would show your love in service. We would show your love by being servants as you were a servant. Lord, we pray that you would 
speak to our hearts. We pray that you would use us. And Lord, that you would continually refine us and change us into your image. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Please look us up online at the1-80.org and at the 180 YouTube channel. Please reach out to us with any questions or prayer requests. Until next time, thanks for listening.